0: Good evening, church. Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 9. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments they delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and do you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him, not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, And he will say, here I am, the word of God for the people of God.
1: Well, good evening, y'all. Hope y'all are doing well. Thanks for joining us on a Wednesday night for Ash Wednesday. Uh, If you are new, my name is Marco. I serve as the preaching pastor here at Storehouse. McAllen, in the event that you didn't hear L.C., we're going to find ourselves in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 58. We're looking at verses 1 through 9. While you open or load your Bible, we've got a couple of quick things for you. Uh, The first one is that if you are new, even if it's on Wednesday night, we'd love to hang out with you. And so uh, you can fill out a Connect card. They're in the Connect desk, which leads me to the second thing. We have uh, these uh, devotionals or these devotions for the season of Lent. It's called Journey to the Cross. Uh, it was written by a friend of ours named Will Walker up in Austin. Uh, it's a wonderful resource. It is for you. It's our gift to you. Uh, so make sure you, you get hooked up on your way out um, on this wonderful devotional. Uh, other than that, I think that's all I have for us. I'd like to dig right into uh, our time, if y'all are cool with that. Um, Yeah, Don't know if you've seen it, but in the series 30 Rock, I don't know if any of y'all ever seen that. In the series 30 Rock, there's an episode where Jack Donaghy, who is played by Alec Baldwin, is in negotiation with his ex-wife. And in this exchange, he's taking everything that they once shared from her. He's taking love letters and uh, antiques uh, and and rare art pieces, and uh, willingly, she is letting everything go signing off on everything so that the relationship, so that the marriage can come to an end. And finally, after you think it's all over, Jack Donaghy says uh, that he wants one more thing, and what he wants is their full stake in the Arby's franchise. And uh, he wants the full stake in the Arby's franchise, and she yells, Oh, Johnny, you know I love my big beef and cheddar. (laughs) Willingly, she gave everything, but when it came to this, she just couldn't. What is it that you can't live without? To be frank, as as Americans, we're not accustomed to easily giving up whatever it is we can't live without. Uh, As Texans, we can't imagine giving up what we've been consumed by, that is if we can even identify it to begin with. Today is the start of the season of Lent and it's kicked off by Ash Wednesday. And so, if you are new to Storehouse McKellen, then not only may this be somewhat of an odd service, but perhaps the spiritual discipline of fasting is not too far from that either. This is our fifth year observing the start of this season through Ash Wednesday. Uh, and so, before we dive into our text, we tend to do, this, uh, do it this way. Before we dive into our text, I wanna give you five quick reasons as to why we observe the season of Lent and Ash Wednesday. The first reason is because we want to intentionally fix our time on a part of the life of Jesus in the story of our redemption. The season of Lent is part of the church calendar which was first started in the fourth century, and the purpose of the church calendar was to focus on specific seasons of the life, ministry, and death of the Lord Jesus. So as an example, uh, many churches will observe Advent. They'll create sermon series around it. They'll create sermon graphics and do a bunch of stuff centered around the season of Advent. And the season of Advent, as an example, observes the arrival of Jesus. When we build our way up to Easter, we celebrate and observe the resurrection of Jesus. And so it is a specific time in the life, in the ministry, or the death of the Lord Jesus. The season of Lent observes a time in Jesus' life where he fasted for 40 days in the wilderness shortly after being commissioned into his public ministry after being baptized. In the wilderness, Jesus not only fasts, but fights temptation. In the wilderness, ultimately, Jesus prepares himself for the start of his ministry, which ultimately leads to his death on the cross. Before moving on to the next couple of reasons, let me be very clear. Oftentimes, when it comes to the season of Lent, it is as though many Christians think Jesus is back on the cross, Jesus is not alive. Let me be very clear. Jesus is alive and well, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will return one day to claim his bride, the church. Let me just be very clear about that. The second reason we observe the season of Lent is an intentional time uh, to consider the condition of our hearts. That is, asking the tough questions, where our hearts really are? What is ruling and reigning our hearts apart from Jesus? Where is their weariness in our hearts caused over the season that you're in, or the last two years we've had to endure? When we spend time examining the condition of our hearts, God reveals idols. We recognize our weariness. We address bitterness. Examining the condition of our hearts is consistent with the teaching of Scripture. It's the honesty part that we have a hard time with. Number three, we observe this time to consider our mortality. Death is something that many try to avoid thinking about and talking about, yet for the last two years, not many of us have gone unaffected by the reality of death. The Bible tells us that we were made from dust, and to dust we will return. Right now, we we just started our series in Ecclesiastes. Solomon says it this way, all are from dust, and to dust all return. That's Ecclesiastes 3. Therefore, is there any hope in the face of death? And the truth is that there is, right? Jesus has conquered death through his resurrection, so dust and death does not have to be the end. That is, for those who belong to Jesus, they will enter into glory with Him, with death simply serving as a vehicle. Number four, we observe this season to encourage spiritual disciplines particularly fasting, right? The season of Lent is accompanied by fasting. It's a spiritual discipline that is odd to many, but it is taught and practiced regularly throughout Scripture. Interestingly enough, fasting is something we ought to place our attention on. Whether you observe the season of Lent or want to participate in Ash Wednesday is one thing, but observing what Scripture has to teach about fasting is another thing. Fasting is referenced more than something like baptism. So it garners our attention. Finally, we observe the season of Lent so that we would proclaim the need for a Savior in our city. See, Lent is this reminder that we have been given the best news, and Christians get to rejoice in this news, because this is simply an observance. It's an examination of our hearts. This is not the end. Jesus is alive, and He will return. And in the meantime, the Holy Spirit is at work in the life of His church so that we would be sanctified and make Jesus known. So when it comes to, for instance, getting an ash on your forehead, one of the questions that we've gotten in the past is, well, if someone comes up to me and they ask, well, are you you of the Roman Catholic faith? Say no and tell them about Jesus. It's literally a soft pitch. You're welcome. Moving on. Okay? Moving on. To that end... That concludes the five reasons. To that end, I want to dive into the text. And here's my hope for tonight. My hope is that we would examine our hearts. My hope is that the Holy Spirit would expose our hearts and that we would recognize our need for Jesus. Whether you know Him or you don't, my prayer is that we would recognize our need for Jesus. So let me pray, and then we're going to dive into a couple of things tonight. God, we thank you for this wonderful evening. We thank you for your word that we're about to examine. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would not just be present among us, but at work in us. Um, I pray that you would expose our hearts, and as you do, whether it comes with conviction or comfort, that both would drive us to Jesus. And to that end, I pray that you're word would be sweeter than the taste of honey tonight, that our focus would be not upon a tradition, but Jesus. And we ask this all in His name. Amen. When it comes to fasting, what we're going to see, and here's the main idea, when it comes to fasting, what we're going to see is how fasting reveals the gluttony of our hearts. Fasting is going to reveal the gluttony of our hearts and our need to be satisfied in Jesus. And so we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about this, a need for piety. I'll talk more about that in a minute. A need for piety, false piety, and then finally true piety. In order to do this properly, I think we need to define, so we're on the same page, we need to define what fasting is, what it looks like in Scripture, and we need to define this funky word called piety. Well, let's begin with fasting, right? This is ultimately going to expand on our need for piety. But beginning with fasting, fasting is when we abstain from food for a period of time. This is where we abstain from food and intentionally fix our attention On the person of Jesus. For instance, you skip breakfast uh, daily so that you would spend that time in worship, in prayer, in Bible study, in some kind of communing with the Lord. You see, fasting is not simply dietary. It is worshipful. Okay? Earlier, John read Matthew 6, and I want to go back to that for a moment because I think this is a really good way of unpacking fasting. Once more, here's what Jesus says. "'And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward.' But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus tells us a little bit about fasting. First off, he tells us that fasting is is normative. Notice he says, when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast. It is something that is normative to the Christian life. Right, this is something that Jesus personally did and taught to his disciples. And apart from the pages of scripture, fasting is something that is deeply rooted in the history of the church. Toward the end of our time, we'll look at a few reasons as to why we should fast. But fasting is normative. Secondly, fasting is is private right? It, is, it isn't something to be showcased arrogantly as many do. Notice what Jesus says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. In other words, they're weak, they're a little bit tattered, and so they're walking around so that someone would ask, hey, you're looking, uh, looking kind of gloomy, you're looking kind of weak, so that they would be able to say, oh, well, actually, um, I've been fasting, Right? Like, that's the idea behind this, right? <clears throat> it's not to be showcased arrogantly, as many do, in order to come across as more spiritual than others. It's also not for the sake of likes on social media. And you've seen that on social media. I'm gonna fast from social media for the next 40 days. Hit me up. <laughs> Hit me up on my phone. Like, that's something, like, that's new, right? It's a spiritual discipline that is between the individual and God. Should there be anyone who knows about our fasting, it's only because they need to know, maybe like your doctor. Or because you want to share it with a family member. Or because you're deciding to share what Jesus is teaching you. But it's not something you boast about and go walking around with. It's not something you post on social media to come across as cool. I'm giving up chocolate for 40 days. No one cares. (laughs) Finally, fasting can be occasional. Fasting is occasional in the sense that it can be a part of a season, something like the season of Lent. Or it could just be not eating a meal, like you decide to skip Lunch, for whatever reason. It could be once a month. It could be once a year. It could be on special occasions. The Bible doesn't necessarily give this full prescription. But nevertheless, it can be occasional. Next, we look at piety, this fancy word named piety, or called piety. It's not a word that we often use, but it's a helpful one. And the way we would, we would define piety is a faithful commitment to God in all of life. In short, a life devoted to God. A life devoted to God, not simply in our quiet time, not simply when we're reading our Bible, but in everything that we do. See, our devotion, the way in which we live, is a reflection of our doctrine, what we say we believe. That's what piety is. Fasting helps to produce piety because the purpose of fasting is to long for God, to know Jesus better, to grow in our faith. Fasting and piety should go hand in hand. They should be funny sounding only in pronunciation, but not in practice. As Christians, we must practice piety Not to come across as holier than thou. That would be pride. But to both increase our dependence of God and to enjoy Him in our life. How does this help? How does fasting help when it comes to piety? When we fast, and if you've ever done this, you'll realize this, or if you've ever fasted, that is, but when we fast, all of the sudden, we begin to recognize all of our appetites, and it's not just food. And that's a really good indicator that we have been satisfied by something or someone else apart from Jesus. (laughs) In fasting, our hearts are revealed. And when our hearts are revealed, so is our treasure. So now we got fasting, we got piety. Now let us look at Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is the most extensive chapter on fasting when it comes to the Bible. Here, in Isaiah 58, we have God speaking to Israel through the prophet Isaiah, and at this point, Israel has been fasting, they've been abstaining from food, they've been fasting so that they would hear from God and be recognized by Him in their fasting in this chapter we see God respond to Israel's fast by holding up a mirror to Israel's heart. So let's go to verse 1. And this is what God says through Isaiah, cry aloud, Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob, their sins. You see, in the process of their fast, God is saying that he wants his people's sin to be revealed, to be put on the table, to be known. And the thing about that is, Israel, that is the people of God, they would not disagree. In God's assessment, Israel would say, we agree, we're going to put our sin on there. But in verse 2 and verse 3, the tone changes, and God now reveals to Israel their hypocrisy. So, we're actually going to jump down to verse 3 for a minute. Verse 3, God tells, or actually, this this is Israel's response to God. Why have we fasted, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? In hypocrisy, there's always a right and a false. Israel got something right. Israel got the act of fasting right. They're participating in this spiritual discipline. Externally, they have checked off the box. They're doing the right thing. And then God calls them out on their heart. Because although their action was right, their heart was displaced. Now let's go to verse 2. God says, "...yet they seek Me daily and delight to know My ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God." They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. And it sounds really good. Like, well, that's what Israel wants to do. Here's the thing. I want to focus on a couple of words in verse 2 because it's important to know how they're being said. For instance... The words me, when he says they seek me daily, or the word delight, when he goes on to say they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, those words are written emphatically and sarcastically. In other words, it's not good. It's almost like God is throwing it back in their face. It, was, it would be almost as if the tone was, yet they seek me, quote unquote, daily, and they delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgments. There is false humility from Israel and God is calling them on it. When he uses the words judgment and righteousness, judgment is not condemnation, but Assessment. In other words, Israel has been fasting, therefore, they feel God should not only respond to them, should not only recognize them, but see things the way they see things. But that's not how it works. And when it comes to their righteousness, God calls them on that. And He says, as if they were a nation that did righteousness, that is, The righteousness that they preach is really a hypocritical way of living. So cool. They're doing the spiritual discipline. They're doing the right thing. They're checking off the box. But internally, their hearts are far from God. Their hearts are displaced. They're not doing this so that they would seek after God. They're not doing this because they actually delight in Him. See, as Israel fasts, they practice their faith externally, but their emotions are mechanical. Their emotions are insincere. Internally, their hearts do not seek after God. They do not seek after His ways or after His truth. They're looking to use God. And here's the thing, they're the ones that get offended. Look at verse 3 once more. Israel says, Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? They're offended that God isn't looking at how holy they are. This is false piety. And this is the danger of piety. That is one who lives their devotion out to the Lord on paper, to look a certain way, and to have God in their pocket. The Bible would call this pride and legalism. And friends, that is dangerous. Israel does the right thing, but fasts for the wrong reasons. Israel fasts by going through the motion. They exercise Fasting, but, when they, but they're going through the motion. On the surface, they, this would be the equivalent of being on fire for God. You've used that terminology before. Oh man, this person's on fire. Like in all the words, they're all in. And so Israel's on fire for God, but beneath their hearts were selfish and they wanted their desires satisfied by something other than God and they wanted God to do that for them. That's the irony of all this. So let me ask you, are you going through the motions? Here's a better question. Are you honest enough to answer that question? Israel displays false humility. They wanted attention, not transformation. They were entitled, not repentant. Israel saw God Not as Yahweh, not as creator, but as someone in their pocket. As their personal genie. Do you view God that way? Is God in your pocket? Does he owe you something that's a very dangerous place for you to be? Fasting requires a heart that is humbled and seeks after God and longs for God not the attention of those around you, and certainly not your entitlement. And so now we come to the next section, true piety. If verses one through three shows a false piety, shows us Israel's true heart, now we see God respond to Israel's mechanics and to their hypocrisy. This is where God holds up the mirror to Israel and in turn, through the Spirit, holds the mirror up to you and I. Beginning at the end of verse 3. Here's what God says Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure, oppress all your workers. You fast only to quarrel and to fight, and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I chose? A day for a person to humble themselves? Is it to bow down his head like a reed, to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? God exposes what is really happening with Israel. That they are fasting for their own pleasure, that is, false humility, for their own entitlement. That they, as they fast, they actually mistreat others. It is as if this spiritual discipline is disconnected from obedience to god and you've heard that sometimes particularly when people talk about food as an example right when it comes to food people will say like oh man you don't want to see me in the next 25 minutes i'm gonna get really hangry right like if i don't have whatever it is you need to eat i'm going to turn into this kind of a person right And people would say, like, oh, well, hangry is a real thing. Right. Okay. So Israel is mistreating others by oppressing them. You may not oppress someone, but you might be a jerk. It doesn't end there. As Israel fasts, they begin to fight one another. What does this look like for us? In the church, there is division, there is dissension there is gossip, there is slander. Again, it's as if they are disconnected, like I gotta do this holier than thou exercise and it's disconnected from my obedience. God references the the sackcloth and the ashes. That is, in the Old Testament, people would cover themselves in ash and sackcloth when they would receive a knowledge of their sin. And when they would receive a knowledge of their sin, it would inevitably lead them to repentance. Israel is saying, we're putting on the ash, we're putting on the sackcloths, but it's not leading to repentance. It's, It's actually not doing anything. They're just doing it so that they can say, see God, I did it, I did it. You owe me. And so God is holding this up to them. Whether you choose to fast in this season or not, as you pursue godliness, is there ungodly motivation behind that? If you're like, well, I'm really not sure, I would encourage you to consider fasting, and I think God may reveal it to you. The beauty of three through five is that God doesn't leave them there, right? Just like he doesn't leave us hanging because God is a good father and he demonstrates compassion. And so in verses six through eight, God reveals these six principles that that please him when it comes to fasting. He provides six principles followed by a reward what I'm going to do is I'm going to condense those six principles into two things, and then we're going to look at some other reasons to fast. But nevertheless, if the fasting that Israel was doing is a false piety, it is something that does not please God, then what is a fasting that does please God? Well, he answers in verse 6. In verse 6, he says, "'Is this not the fast that I chose?' To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. In verse 6, fasting is directly linked to worship. Like you personally, you the individual, it is linked to worship in that God exposes idols, things that we can't live without, things that we've given ourselves to, sin that has burdened us like a yoke. God reveals that in the midst of fasting. And sometimes, and you may be this way, you're like, oh man, I don't like it when I get convicted because all of this stuff just comes up to the surface and I just feel like poop. Like I I don't like when I am convicted. The thing about conviction is that that should be what drives us to the Lord Jesus. Paul Tripp says it this way. If you are aware of your sin... You are aware of it only because you have been visited by amazing grace. Do not resist that awareness. To see sin clearly is a sure sign of God's grace. Be thankful. So when you get that conviction, that conviction is meant to drive us to the Lord Jesus that conviction is actually grace from God for you. To know the knowledge of your sin is a grace so that you can run to the one who gives it abundantly. Fasting is directly linked to our worship. Number two, fasting is directly linked to mercy. That is, in ministering to others. Look at verse 7. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Fasting may be this private affair with the Lord, but it doesn't mean we neglect the care of others. It is not void of our obedience, and that's what Israel got wrong Israel's like, I'm fasting, this is for me, this is my thing, no one bother me. And when it came to other people, they oppressed them, they mistreated them, and they fought one another. Don Whitney says it this way: I don't think this is up on the screen, but here's what he says: God will not allow us to compartmentalize fasting from the rest of our lives. The spiritual disciplines do not stand alone. The Lord will not bless the practice of any spiritual discipline, including fasting, when we disregard his word regarding relationships with people. Fasting is directly linked to how we minister and care for others. It is not separate from the rest of your life. It is not this own Christian bubble and I can be another way over here. That's the way the Pharisees were doing it in Matthew 6 where they're looking like uh, trash and they're tired and, and like, oh, what's it, what is it that's going on? Well, I'm fasting. That, you've missed it. Number three, fasting is linked to seeking God, to knowing Jesus better to deepen our faith and relationship with Him earnestly. That's what fasting is for. Back up in verse 2, he says, remember, this was sarcastically, but that doesn't mean it's untrue. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. In fasting, we are seeking after God so that we can depend on God, so that our delight would grow in God. Because sometimes we're weary, sometimes we're not feeling it, sometimes it's just been hard and we are seeking after God. And if we're honest, most of the time someone or something else has satisfied our appetite and it's not Jesus and he's made it known and we want to seek after him, that's why we fast. Number four, a good reason to fast is for God to give you guidance. Judges 20, 26, this is after several battles, the people of God are trying to figure out what is it that we need to do. He goes on to say, then all the people of Israel, the whole army went up and came to Bethel and wept. They keep losing, and they sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until the evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before their Lord. And so what we see the people of God doing is just coming before God, fasting, abstaining from food because they need guidance, they need help, they need clarity, they need sound judgment. And let me just be frank, like you're not always gonna get the clear answer When you fast, but at least you'll be sober-minded to make a good decision. Don't be like Israel, right? In the sense of, "Oh, I'm going to fast and God's going to owe me this answer. No, he might just reveal your heart. He might just expose idols. He might reveal way more than you're bargaining for. But at least you'll be sober-minded. Next, We fast, as for the first reason, we fast so that our hearts would be exposed, and so that our sin would be made known. And the truth is, as we mentioned, your sin has been made known to you by His grace. We fast for the sake of confession and repentance. Joel 2 says this, this is God speaking to His people, yet even now, declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Let us not be a people who simply admits our sin. Well, nobody's perfect, and yeah, I sin a little, but I love Jesus. Let us not be a people who simply admits our sin. Let us confess it. Let us confess our sins so that it would lead to a life of repentance and transformation. Finally, we fast so that we would be strengthened in prayer. Prayer helps us depend on God because in prayer we don't simply commune with God we are relying on him to shape us to lean on his understanding to meditate upon his ways in short to be satisfied in Jesus alone Ezra 8:23 figuring out what they're going to do so we fasted and implored our God for this and he listened to our entreaty. Fasting pleases God because it's directly connected to worship and mercy. It's directly connected to the appetite of our hearts. And so, we close. We close with the reward of this fasting. Let's go to verse 8 and 9. God says, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. What's the reward? What do we get? The Lord hears our prayer. The Lord makes himself available to the brokenhearted and the weary. For when we cry out, the Lord will say, here I am. What's the reward? It is the presence of God in this life. And God has best demonstrated this through Jesus entering into our world that is filled with vanity and frustration, dying in our place and for our sin, resurrecting on the third day, conquering sin, Satan, hell, and demons so that we might be redeemed, forgiven, new, and hear the words regularly and on the daily, here I am if you belong to Jesus, you do so because of grace through faith, not because you've earned your righteousness before God. Fasting is for the heart that already belongs to God, and simply put, it's a heart that misses Him and longs for His return. The blood of Jesus has redeemed you, and in your forgiveness, in your newness, you have intimate access, unlimited access to the Father. What Israel is looking forward to in Isaiah 58, you have right now, present tense, because of Jesus' work for you. So whether you observe the season of Lent or not, whether you get an ash on your forehead or not, Fasting is a spiritual discipline that draws us near to God in prayer and dependence, resetting our thinking to create an awareness of our sin and God's grace, recentering our attention in that one day this will no longer be necessary because we won't be fasting. Instead, we will be feasting with Jesus in glory. So, Christian, I know many of you are tired. I know that many of you are weary. And I know that many of you, often, your hunger goes unsatisfied. Let me invite you, let me encourage you, fix your eyes on Jesus tonight. Don't wait till the morning. Don't wait until an hour from now. Fix your eyes on Jesus tonight. Come before him, tired and weary, and he will give you rest. In light of the Spirit at work in you, confess your sin before a holy God. It is grace for you. And if you don't know Jesus, All of this is tradition. What's important is whether or not you actually know Jesus. Apart from Jesus, you do not have a newness of life. But in Jesus, He offers you the grace of His salvation through faith and repentance. I would invite you to repent and surrender and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Church, fasting reveals the gluttony of our hearts and our need to be satisfied in Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for an evening like tonight. We thank you for an occasion like Ash Wednesday. Not simply because of the history or the tradition, but because we get to examine your word. We get to hear from you. Our hearts and minds get to be drawn to Jesus together. And so God, more than the season, may you by your spirit reveal the condition of our hearts, to us tonight. And may you give us the strength to be honest with what's really going on, to bring it not just to the surface, not just to admit it, but to confess it. And to know that having an awareness of our sin as I suppose as funny as that sounds, having an awareness of sin is actually a grace from you because that means we can run to you. May our life be marked by your grace. And during the season of Lent, may we consider Jesus more than anything else. So Lord, if you call us to fast, may we do so to please you, not others. We thank you for this night as brothers and sisters. Pray that you'd be glorified and honored. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.